Good morning, everyone. We heard last week from Christo how important it is for us to just sit at the feet of Jesus on a regular basis. And um, as I was preparing this morning, I just really felt that the next 25 minutes, we're just going to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I'm really going to trust that you hear his voice. Because there's so many voices in the world, isn't there? Your week has been filled with voices. But we just need to sit. And we can sit together this morning and just listen to what Jesus has to say. His voice is the sweetest voice that we can ever hear. And I have prayed this morning that your ears would be so in tune to hear what it is that he wants to say to you. Let me give you a little picture of what the next 25 minutes is going to look like. I'm going to tell you a few stories, and then I'm going to remind you of two truths in the Bible. I'm then going to tie the truths together, and then I'm going to end with some more stories. Okay, you can handle that. <laughs> I grew up in South Africa in a middle-class family, and I don't ever remember having any lack. My family was not super wealthy, but neither was it poor. And my parents had three daughters. I was the middle one. And whenever we needed anything, or even if we wanted something, my father always, if it was in his power, he would provide it for us. So I grew up never experiencing any lack. And it brought such a security and a peace to my life growing up. I knew that my dad was for me. I never doubted that my father was for me, and he would always watch out for me. And he always used to say to me that if ever I was in trouble, which happened two or three times in my teenage years, if ever I was in trouble, he was just a phone call away. And I'd make that phone call, and he would come. So I grew up with a very secure feeling of a father who looked after me and provided for me. And then... When I was in my late teenage years, so around about 19, my dad decided to start his own business with all the money that we had. He had always dreamed of running his own business, and he thought this was the time, and so he opened up his business, and all of us as a family were involved in the business. And in order to sustain this business for a couple of years, he ended up cashing in his life insurance and also all the other policies that we had as a family. And the business continued to go badly, and eventually he needed to close it, and we lost everything that he had accumulated over the years and everything that he had. And then within three months of the business closing, he died. It was a very unexpected death. He was 50 years old, and he died. And at that time, I remember... Us as a, as a family, my sisters and my mom, we went into survival mode. All of a sudden, we were counting our pennies. All of a sudden, we were really worried how we were going to pay for things. And if I remember right, there was even debt that we had to um, clear. And my mother, who had never worked for 30 years, had to now go find a job. So our lives changed drastically. And we really did go into the survival mode of thinking, of counting our pennies and just being aware of every cent that we, that we spent. And our future at that stage was quite scary. I can remember thinking I wasn't sure of what the future held for me. And then I met Piet. 
And I wish I could tell you that Piet solved all my problems. But Piet was already a pastor of a little church up in Howick, and there was no money there. So, and, but he had his own car. I remember Piet had his own car, and that was really impressive to me, that this man had a car. But Piet didn't solve those problems that I had of being in survival mode. But then I met Piet's dad. And I can remember the very first time that we went on holiday with him. And Piet's father paid for everything. He wouldn't let us contribute for anything. If I saw a dress in a shop, he would buy it for me. If we took our boys to go buy some clothes, he would pay for those clothes. If we went out for dinner, he would never let us cover the bill. There was no ways Piet was going to be able to try and pay for the bill. He would cover the bill. And even if we went away on holiday with him, he would always take care of all of those needs. Even though we were earning a salary, even though we were responsible, he took that position of just providing for us. And I remember feeling, I have a dad again. It was just this very real feeling of a security that came back into my life of going, I have a dad again. And amazingly enough, he wasn't a Christian at the time. He only became a Christian years later. But God used this man in such a powerful way to heal something and to solve something that I was in, the survival mode. I also knew with Piet's dad that if I ever got into trouble, he would come running. I had no doubt that I could make a phone call and Wally would be there. So I had gone from survival mode and independent thinking that I have to make this work back into a rest. There was just a rest that came back into my soul. It wasn't just a knowledge in my head. It was a feeling that I had in my life. It actually impacted my spirit, and it was a feeling of rest, a feeling of security. And as I was preparing this message this week, I remembered that part of my life. I haven't thought about that for so long. But that story came back to me, and I felt God say this. Many of my children are in survival mode. They're trying to do life on their own. And I want them to know that I am their heavenly father. I am a good father, and I want to be that father. At the heart of Christianity is the love of a father for his children. That's basic Christianity. It's the love of a heavenly father for his children. One of my friends in this church, um, her father had to go in for a very serious operation a little while back, and the bill ended up, this was back in South Africa, and the bill ended up coming to 1.4 million rand. A lot of money in South Africa. You can do the conversion into franc, but a lot of money for them to pay. 1.4 million rand. And medical aid was not liable for whatever reasons to cover that bill. And so she came and sat with me and was telling me the story of how they now had to find 1.4 million rand. And um, she, she was in a state. And when we started to pray about it, I had the picture of Piet's dad when we were in a restaurant and he would cover the whole bill. And I just prayed that God, her heavenly father, would cover the bill. It was as simple as that. Because I had had this experience of a father who took care of my needs, I prayed that her heavenly father would cover the bill. 
And through a series of miraculous conversations that she ended up having, they ended up only having to pay 5,000 rand, from 1.4 million to 5,000. Her heavenly father took care of the bill. God wants you to know this morning that he's got you. He's really got you. If you know him as your father, if you serve him, he's your God. He's got you. He wants you to know that. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever it is that you may be fearful about into the future, he's got you. He's your father. He will come through for you in ways that you wouldn't even be able to figure out, even on your most intelligent days. We think we can do it. We think we can make a plan. But even on your most intelligent days, God can come through in ways that you would not imagine. Life is big and life is pretty scary. But we have a Father in heaven who is looking out for us. If you don't know the book of Ruth in the Bible, do yourself a favor and go read it again this week. I had just been reading it recently and the story of Ruth is about a, a widow called Naomi who is walking through life with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who's also a widow. And they are in a desperate situation. They have nothing, absolutely nothing. And through a series of events, Ruth just starts to do what is in front of her. She knows there's a field over there. She knows that there are harvesters who are harvesting the grain, and she walks behind them. And whatever grain falls behind, Ruth starts picking up. And that is their food that she takes home. And God works the story in such an incredible way that she ends up meeting the owner of that field, Boaz, and ends up marrying him. But throughout the story of Ruth, very, very rarely do you see the word God. Even though we know right the way through the story, God is working behind the scenes. God is working every day in Naomi and Ruth's life, but you don't see the word God. And so often that is like our lives. We don't see him on a daily basis, but you need to know that your heavenly father is watching out for you on a daily basis and he's weaving and he's working and he's bringing things together because he's got you. Just like he had Ruth and Naomi, he's got you. And I really want to encourage the Ukrainian people that are sitting here today because I can't imagine how scary your future looks right now. But the story of Ruth and Naomi is your story. It's not just for them. God is not partial just for some people. He loves all his children. He's a father to all of his children. And if you just do what's in front of you, Ruth just picked up grain every day. If you just do what's in front of you, you will see God work in extraordinary ways in your life because he is a faithful, faithful father. So let's read our first scripture this morning. It's found in Luke 12, 22 to 32. And as we read it together, I want you to hear the heart of your father for you. This was written for you as his child. And this is what it says. Then, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, 
what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds. How much more valuable are we as God's children than the birds? He looks after the birds. He will look after you. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about all the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, but your father knows what you need knows that you need them but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well do not be afraid do not be afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom the heart of a father for his children of course we have to work while we're here we can't just abdicate our jobs and rely on this and go, well, God will provide. Of course we have to work. Of course we have to be responsible. But we have to know that our security and our providence ultimately comes from him. When you understand that, there is a rest and a security that comes into your soul. So that is truth number one. Remember I said I'm going to teach you two truths. That is truth number one. You have a heavenly father who will look out for you. Most of us know this passage. It's a common pa passage that is preached all over the world, this one. But do you know the passage that comes before this one? Probably not. I don't think any of you have this passage that I'm going to read to you stuck on your mirror that you can read every day. But it comes before this one, so we have to read it if you can go there. Luke 12, 13 to 21. So the background to this, Jesus is teaching a crowd. And in that day and age, often um, the rabbis would be used to solve problems that people had with each other. So they would bring the problem to the rabbi and then the rabbi would give wisdom. And so Jesus is busy teaching this crowd. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So obviously the brother has got everything. This man's upset and he's saying, Jesus, tell him to divide it with me. Money issue. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me as a judge or as an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, 
this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. The, the title of this section of scripture is called the rich young fool. Jesus says to him, he is just a fool, what he's doing, how he's thinking. Now, when we read this, when I read this, I thought there is a lot of good that this man is doing. The whole story is not bad. There is some good. Firstly, he's obviously worked really hard. He works hard. Secondly, I remember a verse, I think it's in Ecclesiastes, where it says, look at the ant. The ant stores up food for winter. And it says, be like the ant. There's nothing wrong with preparing for the future, nothing wrong with looking into our future and preparing for our future. This man was doing it. But why Jesus called him a fool was this. His security was in his riches, not in his heavenly father. He had riches. Riches are not wrong. He had riches, but his security was in his riches. And he also just lived for himself. Listen to how often he says, I and my. There are six I's and five my's. I'm going to read this again for you. If you can go back to the beginning of that verse. Uh, next one. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. You can sense the, this man's security in himself. I, 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 my, my, my. Do you know that all the wealth we have, if we have wealth, comes from God? The Bible teaches us that. Any wealth we have is from God. And so we cannot take credit for any wealth we have. It comes from the Lord Almighty. And this man had such security in his own wealth, and then that night his life was demanded of him. He said that his barns were too small and he needed to build bigger ones. And when I was reading this, I thought, what a silly man. He's already got an amazing big barn. Why does he want to build bigger ones? And at that moment, I thought of my uh, closet at home, my clothes cupboard. So when we got to Switzerland, Piet and I shared a cupboard of, that we put our clothes in. Piet had one side, I had the other side. But then love on a hanger happened to me. And I have bought so many clothes from Love on a Hanger that now I was needing something bigger. So over COVID, we had no guests come stay for two years, and our guest room was pretty empty. So I took all of Piet's clothes, and I moved them into the cupboard in the guest room, and now I have a whole cupboard to myself, which is now full. And as I was thinking of this, I thought, I cannot judge this man. 
I have a cupboard and now I want a better cupboard. I had a holiday and now I want a bigger holiday and a better holiday. This is all about discontentment, which is what Christo spoke about last week. We have, but we want more. This man just wanted more. I could not judge him. I felt really convicted. Just so your mind is at rest, Peter's not sleeping in the guest room. He does, we do sleep in one room, but his clothes are in the guest room. That last verse, if you can go to the very last um, verse here, says this, this. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. What does that mean? What does it mean to be rich towards God? And I found a verse that I think what it means, and I would love to read it to you. So go to 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 to 19. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19. It says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. My dad knew how uncertain that was. He lost it within a couple of years, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is truly life. I used to read this verse. I've read this verse often, and I have never thought it applied to me because I never thought I was rich in this present world. I knew I was middle class, but I never thought I was rich. And so I used to read over this verse, and it never penetrated my heart. But I want to show you a slide that changed that for me. If we can put the first slide up, it says this. If you have food in your fridge, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer then 75% of the world. How many of you can say you have that, that first part? We are richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank, your wallet, and some spare change, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. And all of a sudden, I thought, I am one of those ones that are rich in this present world. I better take this verse seriously. All of a sudden, it mattered to me. I read it as if God had written it for me. All of us, I don't know all your stories, but I could possibly say 99.9% .9 in this room, this verse applies to us. If you are rich in this present world, then do this. Wealth is not evil, it's God who gives us what we have. But people have stopped trusting God as their provider and seeing him as their heavenly father. And Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world. That's me. If this is you, then this verse is for you. Our wealth is not for us. This verse tells us that our wealth is not for us. It's so that we can be rich towards God. 
And when you use your wealth for others, you are laying up treasures in the life to come. Because let me tell you, eternity is connected with us. What we do here is going to reflect what happens to us in eternity. And Jesus says, do things in your earthly time, lay up treasures for what is to come when you end up with me. So this is what it means to be rich towards God. So let me tie the two truths together if you don't know how to do that, which I'm sure you can, but let me tie the two truths together. If we can put up that slide with both of the truths. First truth, your security comes from your good heavenly father, full stop. Our security only comes from God, nothing else. It comes from your heavenly father and he's a good father. He will watch out for you. Number two, use your wealth for God's purposes. If you don't know number one, you will not be able to do number two. It is impossible to do number two if you don't have a revelation of number one. And that is my prayer this morning, that for all of us, we will get a fresh revelation of number, two, of number one because then it's so easy to do number two. If you know that God has got you, that God is your provider, that God is your security, it's very easy to be free with our wealth because we know it's going to come from him when we need something. And so these two truths are so tied together. We have to get number one before we can operate in number two. When we left South Africa to come to Switzerland, um, we had been married at that stage for 21 years and so we had accumulated a lot of stuff and when we got the call to come to Switzerland um, number one we felt God say to us burn the bridge don't keep anything back in South Africa so that when things get hard here you can just go back we felt to burn the bridge but also to be truly realistic we couldn't afford to bring all of our household goods over to Switzerland so what we ended up doing is we got rid of everything 21 years of accumulation we got rid of. Our cars, our house, all of our household goods, even our dogs, we just moved everything on. We sold very little. Most of it we gave away. Now, I can remember when we did that, when we were going through the process, I thought in my head, I thought, are we being irresponsible? Is this being silly? Should we be more responsible? Because often when God requires us to be generous or to be free with our wealth, we can think, are we being responsible? And I remember thinking, are we being irresponsible? Our plan was to come to Switzerland and go to Ikea and slowly just start accumulating stuff again. So when we came to Switzerland, um, we came with Christopher, our younger son, and our suitcases, some clothes in our suitcases. That was it. And we were ruthless, and Piet was really worried because he thought I'd be ruthless and leave him at home too. He said, I'm so glad you've let me come because he saw me giving away all this other stuff. But we literally came with our two suitcases and Christopher, planning to go to Ikea. And when we arrived here, there was a lady in this church, and she owned four apartments that were fully furnished, and she used to rent them out. But this one particular tenant didn't want a fully furnished apartment. He wanted to bring his own stuff. So I think it was in the week before or the week that we had landed. She phoned us and she just said, if you would like, come with a van 
and take everything in the apartment. You can take it for free, and hopefully it will help you with your new empty apartment. So we got a van. I didn't know what the stuff was like, and off we went, and I liked all of it. We literally packed up every single thing in that apartment, from beds to towels to cutlery to curtains to microwave, everything, and we put it in our apartment. If you have visited our apartment, all that stuff is from there. We never had to make the trip to Ikea. Do you see what a good heavenly father we have? When we are able to do number one, it's very easy to do number two. But we have to have a revelation of a good heavenly father. At the moment, so that was eight years ago, and this never stops. If you think you've done it once, this never stops. This is a continual thing. At the moment, this last couple of weeks, Piet and I have really been feeling that we needed to help someone financially. And we were both feeling that. And it is more than what we would normally help someone financially with. And what we are going to give does not come out of our excess. It comes out of what we would need to live. But we have both felt that we've needed to do it. And so we are going to do it. If we don't have a revelation of number one, we would not be able to do what we feel God telling us to do now. But we know that our wealth doesn't come from ourselves. And if we give away our wealth, God is a wonderful, wonderful heavenly father and he will give me everything I need. And so that is just what I wanted to share with you today.